0: Thank you Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project premiere episode, first episode of season nine. Feeling fine. It's a new year, even though we're kind of already into it, but it's the first podcast of the year. And I'm so excited. I'm just so excited for the season. I really tried during the break to to Think about where I wanted these 10 episodes to go and what I wanted people to be able to take away from them. And I'm happy with what I came up with, so I hope you're happy with it too when you hear it and when we get there. Uh, There is a lot to cover today. We've got some updates. We've got a voicemail. We've got topics to talk about. We've got all that stuff. But first, I would like to thank the sponsor of this episode and this season, nobody, me, myself, I uh, thank you to me. <laughs> That's very self congratulatory. Uh, there is no sponsor for this season, and uh, that is something that we're going to talk about because I'm super grateful that we had Riverside sponsor last season. That was like really awesome. It's the first time I've had any kind of sponsorship. It's the first time the podcast has done anything that, aside from cost me money, so that was that was kind of cool. And Riverside was great. And I have decided after that to, I, I don't think, ever do a sponsor again on the podcast. But it's, it's uh, it has nothing to do with Riverside. They were amazing and they're awesome. And it could have been anyone. So it's very much a uh, it's not you, it's me kind of, kind of decision. But I want to talk about that because I learned a lot from it. And I noticed that I, I've always gotten questions from people about how to monetize and sponsor podcasts. And I never really knew because I never really done it. And then throughout last season, as the episodes are sponsored, I started getting a lot more questions from people who were wanting to get their show sponsored. And so I don't have any kind of definitive answers with any topics on this show. But what I can do is kind of, you know, the same thing I always do, which is share my perspective and my experience. And then you can listen to that and cherry pick it and take from it anything that you happen to find useful. So no sponsors, but that's not anything negative on the... Sp- I want to emphasize that. It's nothing negative on the sponsor. It's it's my experience with the like concept of sponsorships. And that's something that we're going to talk about today because we're going to dive back in to the good old ethics statement, which has also been revamped a bit for the new year. And it's something we haven't really talked about in a while. And I think that that's going to be a little bit important. So that's what we're ultimately going to get to today. Before that... I do want to talk about the gear, the gear for the new year and the new season. I'm geared up right now talking into the Lewitt LCT240 Pro, which I recently did a video about how underrated this microphone is when I was doing the big microphone shootout and everything, which my whole point in doing the microphone shootout was to almost prove that like the blue Sona was really awesome, which it is. And then I was like, well, actually, maybe I kind of want to prove that the Earthworks ethos is awesome, which it is. And then we went through every microphone. We did podcasts. We did live streams, the whole thing. A lot of you followed along the entire way. And ultimately, it ended up with the Lewitt LCT240, like, taking the cake. When it came down to the final vote in the the live stream we did, uh, I forget the exact numbers, but it was something like the Lewitt got 79 votes and the other microphone it was up against, I forget what the runner-up was, got 21 votes. So the Lewitt, like, it wasn't even close, honestly. And that's what I'm talking into right now. I have rigged it up a little bit differently because the reason I don't use it that often is it's so hard to mount on my boom arm and have it positioned the way I need it to be positioned using the shock mount and the pop filter that I like, or that come that it's made for, that are made for it. So I've rigged up the Elgato low-profile arm in a way that I think might work and lets me position the microphone where I need it to be. So I'm going to try that out for a while, see how I like it. And everything is just running into the RODECaster Pro 2. There is no Lewitt preset, but I'm using the NT1 preset. And I think that it sounds, even though it's not a Lewitt preset, I do think it sounds absolutely Awesome. So hopefully you do too. That's what I'm listening to today. So if you like the sound of this microphone, this one is such a winner to me. I've you know I've talked about this ad nauseum, but $159 for you know the mic and like the basic windscreen and stuff, that's pretty amazing. And since it's a condenser, it'll run on pretty much any interface, any mixer. You don't need the RodeCaster Pro 2 or anything like that. It's just an awesome microphone. So that's what I'm using today. And going into the Roadcaster Pro 2, trying to do as much editing on the fly as possible, which we will see how successful I am here because we have a voicemail that was sent in over the break. And it's from the always delightful Mr. Patrick Boberg, who uh, has been such a, just a fun, awesome supporter of this podcast and other, and the channel and other things for so long. And he sent a voicemail. I guess I'll, we'll listen to this. We'll talk about that. And then we can talk about if you want to submit voicemails and things I'll, uh, I'll give you all the info how to do that. So before we go any further, let's hear what Patrick has to say.
1: Mr. Buck, it is I, Patrick from Iowa, who may or may not have mouth trumpeted the original version of your theme song. I guess there's more to it than that, but whatever. Uh, no musical company today. Just um, wondering. So I quit Twitter. It was a hard decision uh, about a month and a half ago, and I've been on it since early 2008. And, you know, trying to struggle to find a replacement or whatever for mindless web droppings. But it got me thinking about just platforms in general. And what gets you to eventually pull the trigger on getting out of there? Because I quit. I have like, you know, quit in quotes, Facebook several times and not touched it for months, but I never deleted my account. Twitter, I just said, I don't want to be a part of this. Mr. Musk, it's yours. Have whatever crazy fulfillment you want with this thing. It's not for me. But with YouTube, I don't know if i could ever quit it and i know it's your business is you know doing things on youtube so uh is there a threshold or could you see a world in which you would uh be forced morally by your personal uh moral moral code to leave uh youtube so uh the podcast wants to know uh talk to you later ah
0: so there was mouth trumpeting and instrumentation in that one Thank you, Patrick, for this. And also thank you for um, assuming that I have a moral code. I guess this is a, an episode about an ethics statement, which sounds very high and mighty. Maybe that's just my cover for not having any kind of moral code at all. This is a really tough question. What would it take to leave YouTube? I realized, I didn't, I feel bad. I didn't realize until you said this that I hadn't seen you on Twitter, but I, it's Twitter's been such a dumpster fire that I just assume people have taken breaks and stuff. Um, let's talk about, that a little bit, not, not Twitter, but other social media platforms. And at least how I view them, like Facebook, as you mentioned, I still have my Facebook account. I check it once a week, maybe. And I'm, I don't do anything on Facebook. I don't interact with anything. I don't say anything. I just scroll, make sure that like distant relatives are all still up and running. And that's kind of it. So that's the function that Facebook serves for me. Uh, Instagram is also a mess. Fortunately, I have Heather for both Twitter and Instagram to just send me the interesting stuff that she finds. (laughs) Uh, So Instagram is a mess. I pretty much just use it as an email inbox. And I do really like stories. I like sharing stories and I like checking stories. That's mainly what Instagram does for me. But that's pretty low pressure. Twitter is something like I was the opposite of you where I was not on it for a long time. I think it was like 2018 is finally when I started joining Twitter. It took like a year or more before I even actually understood kind of how to use it and find the interesting stuff to go, you know, to interact with and interesting people. And I had a lot of fun with it. And lately, probably for many reasons, I've just really found that Twitter is is a net negative for me overall. So it's not, I haven't quit it. And it's not really for like moral reasons, although, wow, there are a lot of things to object to, I think it's just something where I have found if I'm trying to find a specific bit of info or I want like the rare times I want to hear a bunch of opinions about something, then it's really great. It's a cool resource. But if I just like open it up, want to scroll through and see what's happening. I honestly can't think of a time where overall I've stopped doing that and thought, I'm better off because I did that. I'm usually worse off and I'm usually in a worse mood except Gil. I'm going to give Gil some credit who often like sends in messages and things here because every time I see a Gil post, it's always positive and interesting and fun. So that's like the the saving grace of Twitter. But everything else, like not only do I feel worse, but I find myself falling into it. Like the number of times where I'm, I find myself almost typing out like a snarky, sarcastic, snarkastic comment to someone or reply or just sort of like poo-pooing on something which is not what I would normally do but it just gets brought out and luckily like I recognize that and stop it and don't do it but I don't have that problem with other platforms but it just puts me in that mindset so it's something where it's like at this point I you know I rely on Twitter to communicate with people I like it being a I like having a foot in that whatever it is mess in that pile. (laughs) And, um, you know, that's kind of beneficial, but it's something that I kind of just, you know, maybe check through once a day at this point. And I try to like, not get too taken, taken into like negative discussions that are happening on there. YouTube is very different though, because YouTube, you know, like I love YouTube, which is why I wanted to start creating videos on the platform is I'm such a fan of the platform. So, that right i have a, such a different feeling about youtube in general but youtube as a platform is also different both in what it does and this just the scope and the scale of it compared to to almost like any other platform really like twitter is incredibly small compared to something like youtube so what would it take to leave youtube i try i've been trying to think about this and i think with with a platform like twitter it could potentially come down to one person, you know like you get you get a person in a key position who does some things that you really 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 disagree with and maybe that's a reason to go like look, i'm not going to associate myself with what this person does, i'm not going to support what they're doing. So I'm, i think that kind of makes sense for some platforms or even maybe like a group of leaders. YouTube i think is different because even though there is a pres- president or a you know a head of YouTube it really is so much more than one person more than 2 billion active user accounts on YouTube that is a massive percentage of the earth's population so it's really hard it would be hard for me to then put that all on one person there's not like there's not one person in one office who's just like controlling all of YouTube there's so which is a strength I think, but also a weakness because that's sometimes where it feels like one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. And that's probably because one hand doesn't know what the other is doing with YouTube. And so what that means is I, I think that like, say a key executive or a leader of YouTube came out or it came to be known that they did something really awful or, or something. I, as long as they were dealt with in the, the right way and and it wasn't like something that was supported overall by the platform i don't think that would be something that would break it because it's not it's bigger than one person so i think for me the 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 breaking points would have something maybe to do with like how they handle private data and security i know google is a data company and we know they collect our data and i said data and data and th- they use it in all kinds of different ways but if it somehow maybe came out that it was really really nefarious, really dangerous, really abusive, like there was something to do with privacy, data security that they were just not treating well and not not fixing or something because that's a real that poses a lot of real risks to people maybe that would be something and then the other thing which which I actually don't think would happen, but maybe would be more likely, is if they they sort of start treating their users and their creators as just disposable cogs in the wheel, like just fuel for this, this shredder machine of content creation. And I've been trying to think about how to put together an episode about this one specific topic for a while now, and I think I might be able to do it this season but it has to do with the 10 out of 10 ranking system on YouTube because I think that that is genuinely an actively harmful part of YouTube. And it's been out for a couple of years. It is universally despised. Nobody likes it. Nobody benefits from it. At best, somebody tries to ignore it, but there's no like, ah, it's great. I love the 10 out of 10 thing. Everybody loves getting a one out of 10. Don't get much on the world of YouTube is good. It means your video is number one out of your last 10 uploads. But that thing that you can't avoid and you can't turn off, not that that info wouldn't be helpful to have, but you can get all kinds of info on you. You can go in the analytics and you can drill down data to be so specific. That should just be in there. There's definitely times where you would want to know how your videos are performing against each other, how your audience is responding to it. But to have that unavoidably the first thing you see on desktop, mobile, whatever, every time you log in is is not a great thing and it's not helpful to anybody. It's not helpful to a creator, it's not helpful to the platform. The theory that I've heard, which I'll talk about more maybe when we dive into this more, is that it is something that's intended to spark negative negative emotions in creators to essentially scare them into creating more because YouTube runs on content that, as much as I hate that word, but that's literally, it doesn't care what it is, it is just content. That's what it runs on and it needs more of that to be put into the machine constantly. And I think that this, it's almost like, I don't know if that much negative thought went into it or if it was just a thing that somebody thought, you know, I don't know, a team came up with, will implement this and maybe now it's kind of like forgotten about, but it goes totally against Everything else you see from YouTube where it's like, oh, go ahead and take time off. Oh, you know, like create for you. Have fun with this. This is this thing that's in total opposition and it's inescapable from it. And I find that it's actively harmful in a lot of ways. Fortunately, that came out a couple of years ago. And since then, especially in the last like six or seven months, I think YouTube has been kicking butt. Like the features that they introduce, the I I, I am really impressed and happy with and proud of a, like a lot of what YouTube does especially in a world where so many platforms are just collapsing and imploding in on themselves i think youtube is is doing things right in a lot of ways and it makes me really happy and really like proud to see in a way because that's the thing i'm associated with so that gives me hope that this one negative thing is just a one time it was just a weird thing but it doesn't indicate where the platform is going as a whole however if that were untrue and that were the opposite and a bunch of more of those like harmful things that sort of like use fear as a motivator or insecurity, stress to just make any creator just this totally, like you want to talk about a non-fungible token, make a creator totally fungible, like totally replaceable, use you up until you're gone and throw you aside, bring in the next one, use it up. Like it doesn't matter. If the platform shifted into actively doing that just openly, that's something that I definitely couldn't support, which I don't think it's I don't think that it's moving towards I think with two billion users, you know not all those two billions have channels, but I think that everybody's going to have their own experience. some are positive, some some are negative. As a whole, it seems like the platform is trying to to do the best that it can to manage that many people and to keep things positive and useful and and beneficial in a lot of ways. So fortunately, I don't think they're going in that direction. If they did, something like that would probably be my breaking point, I guess, when it comes to comes to YouTube and potentially, potentially leaving YouTube or deciding to. So thanks again so much for that question, Patrick. If you want to do what Patrick did and submit a voicemail, you can go to HiMyNameIsTom.com and right there on that homepage, you might have to scroll down a little bit. There's a section that has a, a link where you can either attach a file or just right there, you can hit record use the, you know, the built-in microphone on your phone or your computer or whatever, and submit a message right away. I don't care about your audio quality. If you just want to do it from your AirPods or something, that's cool. If you want to record a super slick thing in a professional studio, that's awesome too. You could also submit stuff to tom at enthusiasmproject.com if you want. Uh, You can attach video files, audio files, whatever you want, whatever's easiest, even if it's just a typed out thing that you want, uh, you know, I don't know, addressed or if you want to respond to an episode or something. I always do one Q&A episode per season. That's pure Q&A. But I like having a little bit of dialogue back and forth in every episode. I think that's pretty fun. And if you want to do that, you're welcome to do that at any time. So let's move on then to the meat of today, talking about this season, the goal for this season, and then the topic of this show. So in January we passed the four-year anniversary of doing this podcast, which is crazy. Four years. Uh, is a long time. And it's been, you know, it's evolved and it's changed and it's served different purposes for me in that time. Started out just as free therapy and then sort of emerged into different things. And I'm always just shocked that people listen to this. So if you're listening to this, I owe you a huge heartfelt thank you for supporting it, even if this is the only episode you've ever listened to and only ever do listen to. Thank you. But it's kind of nuts that it's gotten to the point where I think that the show does pretty well for a podcast that gets zero promotion because they put links in descriptions here and there, but i I don't actively promote this show at all. It's something that's kind of there and then people who are interested can find it if they want. but it's very much a you know, not super promoted thing. So to get to a point where, there are people listening, and to get to a point where there's where it could be sponsored if I wanted, that's amazing, and I really appreciate that, and I'm really grateful for that. And what that's meant for me, starting it was very personal. It was very much like, I just have so much on my mind that I want to get out in an uninterrupted, long-form format. Podcasting was perfect for that. But as time went on, you know, I kind of got that out of my system. People sort of joined in. And then it started to shift towards, okay, now that I know people are listening, can I provide something useful, something interesting to people? And over the years, there's a lot of episodes that I really love and I'm super proud of. But some of the ones that I, I am most proud of or happy with are the ones that have like really tangible takeaways. So, you know, sometimes we talk about revenue sources or even just like how, Heather and I set up our stuff as a business to operate that way, documented the whole thing of leaving my job to go from part-time to full-time in the world of YouTube, that kind of stuff where, you know, not that I want to talk about like money and revenue on every episode because I don't, <laughs> but but something where somebody might have questions about some this kind of thing and they can get an answer and when they're done listening to the episode they have an idea of how to approach something or just a literally actionable piece of knowledge maybe there's even like a resource you know I could point them towards or share with them or something something that's a clear takeaway from every episode and so that's kind of my goal this season it's my goal every every season you know I want every episode to not feel like a waste of time but in addition to just being something that's hopefully enjoyable like if you want to spend time listening to me and we spend time together during these episodes. I appreciate that, but I would love it if they could even go a little bit further and for at least a decent chunk of people who listen, be every episode be genuinely beneficial in some way. Now, the idea that I had was, uh, as I've been still working through my private pilot's license, which is going great. And we did, we just, the thing I've done most recently is like, well, starting to do some of the traffic pattern stuff, but also stalls, steep turns, some of those maneuvers, which are so less scary. Not scary at all, honestly. I, well, when they're not super close to the ground, I guess. But anyway, that's been going great and it's fun. And I have, I'm really lucky that like the local flight school that I went to at like the close airport <laughs> happens to be just an insanely top rated school with amazing instructors. And it's been such a good experience. Um but I like to supplement that, you know, so I've been, aviation YouTube is amazing, but also I've discovered a podcast that I really love. It's called Behind the Prop. And uh, there's two two hosts of it. One of them is an owner of a flight school and a flight instructor. And the other is a, an, a major airline pilot. They're not allowed to say which one, but he flies, you know, big jets and things, passenger jets. And he's also a uh, designated pilot examiner. So when you're finished with all the work for your your license, it's almost like driving a car before you can actually get it. You have to go on a a ride, a a check ride with somebody where they walk, they evaluate you and how you perform all the maneuvers, all your knowledge, all that stuff. And then if you pass, then you get your official license. So he's one of the examiners there. Basically, I think they're good sources of information and the show is really well done. And I, I would never listen to an outside source over my own instructors because, you know, they they sit down with me specifically and we talk about exactly what I'm doing in the planes that I'm flying, that we're flying in at the airport we're at in the community where like it's all so specific. Um, But I found that the info from the podcast meshes really well. If they top on talk on a top touch on a topic, I can speak, I swear. And then we talk about that later in one of my like lessons The info meshes really well. So it's been an awesome supplement to at least like familiarize myself with stuff or brush up on things. And I love how they structure their episodes because it's incredibly useful They they've been doing it for over a hundred episodes at this point. And you can go back and every episode just titled. So there might be an episode titled stalls or radio communication, electrical systems, how to talk to air traffic control. It's all aviation stuff. Some of it is more focused on general. Some of it's more commercial. Like Some of it's beginner. Some of it's advanced. But it's all aviation. And each episode is one just specific thing about it. And they focus on it really well, share insights, share experience, share best practices, you know, all that stuff. And every time I walk away having learned something or understanding something a little bit better. And I love that. And I've been thinking, like, why can't I do that with my podcast? Why can't I work to make each episode? It doesn't have to be a large, encompassing idea. Like, being a creator is a huge thing that we talk about for a year. But focusing on one small part of it could be a beneficial thing. Focusing on the production side of things, like the basics, the fundamentals, the stuff that's easy to overlook. Like, you know, do we really, maybe we should have a discussion on whether or not to film in log footage, what that even means. Like little basic things that are easy to overlook, that maybe there's a lot of confusion around, that really do, that a solid understanding of kind of helps set you up for success. And even if it's something that you think you're familiar with, maybe you could learn a little bit more about. So, what I'm trying to do with each episode this season, this one might be an exception because it's the new, you know, it's the first one. We're wel- welcoming everything back, setting the stage, building context. But even, even still, I want it to apply to this one. but I want each episode to have sort of that specific like purpose, specific takeaway, and then also hopefully be enjoyable and you know, maybe mildly entertaining, too, along the way. So that's kind of the thing that we're keeping in mind. With that in mind, let's move on to the topic of today's episode: the good old Ethics statement. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because of the decision to not do any more sponsored podcasts to also uh, really limit, if not entirely eliminate, sponsored videos on my YouTube channel and just some changes I made to the ethics statement. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, um, I've talked about it a few times. I definitely feel like I'm beating the poor dead horse. It's like just a skeleton of a horse at this point. But the ethics statement is something I came up with a few years ago. I think in the summer of 2020, um, basically I I was kind of getting approached by companies to do sponsored content Originally, I just said no to everything. But then there were companies that I really liked, like Artlist, for example, where it's like, okay, they're really kind. We've, we've been talking long enough that we actually have like a relationship and a rapport. It's a good fit. Um, you know, but I didn't really know how to approach the sponsored side of things. And I, I needed to to get it out of my mind and put like, put it, not on paper but on a web page on digital paper so that way it was it was there and it was out and it just felt a little more concrete and you know there were great people like um, Kevin basic filmmaker has some outlines that I definitely was inspired by and borrowed from uh, and then there was who was it it was a it was an interview with Marquez Brownlee and I think the channel was mr. mobile where he has this huge page on his website Um who he has a channel with millions of subscribers, but he has a whole page that details like how he handles, because his channel is so big, travel accommodations, if a company wants to put him up in a hotel or buy food, like he covers every part of it in in super detail. And I loved that transparency. And so I wanted to do something similar um, in a way that worked for me. And so I put together this ethics statement, which um, has been great. When I first put it together, it's it's pretty extreme in a lot of ways and I was definitely advised to take it down like I had a lot of friends and even just sort of like semi-distant acquaintances like you're hurting yourself you're shooting yourself in the foot take that down no one's going to want to work with you and I was kind of like that's sort of the point like I I I've described it in the past as it's a field of broken glass and if somebody wants to crawl through that and then still do something together you know maybe they're the maybe they're the person or the company the brand to do something with um But now, though, I could only hope that was going to be the case then. Now that we're coming on two and a half years of having this and it's guided every bit of sponsored content, brand deal, free product that's been sent for several years now, hundreds of videos, podcasts, everything, I feel like I can speak to the ethics statement in a little bit of a different way. And I've also modified it and changed it a little bit. And so that's what I wanted to go through and kind of share, especially as it comes with sponsored content which we're going to talk about at the beginning. So, uh, if you want to follow along, I put a link in the show notes, but it's also just hi my name is tom.com and then you can click on ethics or slash /ethics uh right there. And if you like this and you want to steal it, you can steal my ethics statement. It's very ethical to steal this and modify it as your own. The only thing I would say is don't just blindly copy and paste it because it's pretty personalized to me, so make sure that it that it's in line with your you know, the the things that you care about and how you want to approach things. So you might want to change things, shift things around. I've seen tons of people with versions of it on their websites and stuff. And it's awesome. It makes me really happy um, that it's been helpful, but it also makes me really happy because I know that this is a, it's a really solid resource to keep you on track, to protect the relationship you have with your audience and to stop yourself from being taken advantage of, not that Well, actually, there are really scuzzy brands who will try to take advantage of creators. This filters them out extremely well. So like, I hear horror stories all the time of creators working with these companies. And it's like, I've never had any of those problems because it just filters out all of the companies who would be those problems. There are definitely companies who I've sent this to and never heard from them again. A lot of small, you know, little ones, but also some big ones. Sony is an example. (laughs) Um, Finally, like Sony finally reached out. They were super nice. They wanted to do something. I'm not even 100% sure what it was. And I was like, yeah, you know, just to make sure we're all on the same page before we get started. Here's a link to my ethics statement. This is how I approach all partnerships. You know, let me know what you think. Totally understand if it's not a good fit. That was about eight months ago, and I've never heard from them since. So it doesn't work for everyone. It will. Cost you partnerships, relationships, sponsorships, opportunities? If your goal is just to have as many of those as possible, this is a terrible strategy. But at the same time, every brand that I have worked with has been great to work with, and I don't have any of those horror stories. And everything's been, you know, easy and drama free. And on my end too, the ethics statement does put you as the creator in the the driver's seat, so it puts you kind of in, you know, I don't want to say a position of power <laughs> because they could just say no and walk away, but it, it does give you control over what you're making. The 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 opposite to that or the converse to that is that you do a good job, right? That you are a responsible person who's working with integrity and, you know, you're treating the brand respectfully. Some people I've seen get very defensive with brands and it comes across as just being extremely rude and entitled. And that's not what you want to do. Like I think the reason the ethics statement can work for me is because it is also followed up with like professionalism and kindness and and appreciation and gratitude and, and relationship building. And that's a really, really important thing. So if you want to follow along with this, if you want to borrow it, it's on the website, hi, my name is Tom.com slash ethics, uh, or you can just click on the link in the show notes. And all the way I have it is it's just a page on my website. It's a little bit long. I started it with just bullet points. But before that, I do like a preamble just to sort of contextualize because I'm huge on context. And that's uh, that's the ethics statement. So I'll just read it to you and we'll go through and I'll point out things that are important because I have modified stuff, especially I've modified a few things uh, at, the, at the start of the new year, but also just in the several years that I've had it, you know, things have changed. Uh, so it starts out by saying my channel isn't the largest on the YouTube platform by any means, but I truly value the relationship I've built with a global community over the past five years and hundreds of videos. And that's true, but the reason I wanted to put that there is it lets me link to the channel. So if somebody stumbles across it, they can find the channel. Um, I want them to know that I don't think, especially I think at the time I made this, the channel had, I don't know, 20,000 subscribers. I I didn't want to think like, oh, you got five digit subscriber number and you think that you're just like king of the world right now. So I wanted to make sure I know it's not the largest. It'll never be the largest or anything close to it. I get that. But it has been something I put a lot of work into and it is something people appreciate and that is an important thing to me. So that's why I put that right as the start. Something I added recently is this next little paragraph that says, Sponsored content is extremely rare on my channel. If I choose to work with the brand, it will always be because I actually use the product or service myself and genuinely trust the brand to provide excellent customer service and support. More importantly, I will always make it abundantly clear that such content is sponsored. If I don't explicitly say a video is sponsored, then it's not sponsored. Simple as that. That is for... This page is for everybody. It's for me. It's it's a guideline for me. But I also wrote it trying to keep in mind a viewer who might find it and go like how does this guy like what is he doing is he getting paid for all this stuff and I also keep in mind from a brand's point of view so i'm trying to like talk to all of those audiences those three different audiences at once i thought it was important to say that sponsor content is extremely rare my ethics statement is not a beg for sponsorships at all um so i want to be clear that it's it's always stuff that i actually use and like The thing about the brand providing customer service and support, I did definitely get that from Kevin, basic filmmaker, because it wasn't just about trying to tell someone about a a neat thing, but it was knowing that if something goes wrong, if they feel they're stuck out in the cold, they're not going to be left in the cold. They're going to get the service and support that they need. There are awesome, you know, awesome tools and resources out there, but I definitely wouldn't trust the company behind them to, you know, to step up and make things right if something goes wrong. So those aren't the kind of things I would want to work with. Um, and I also want to make sure it's super clear anything is sponsored. Um, I used to spend so much time disclaiming whether or not something was sponsored. And I've just adopted, thanks to Doc Rock, I've adopted the philosophy. If I don't say it's sponsored, it's not sponsored. Some people are going to accuse it things of being sponsored. And that's <laughs> their problem, I guess. Uh, the next paragraph, in bold, <laughs> this is also something I added recently. In general, I prefer not underlined not to create sponsored work. If I do partner with a brand, you can bet they've seen this page and that I've been able to build a relationship with them over an extended period of time based on mutual trust and understanding. So right there, I'm not begging for sponsorships. Beyond that, I think it's important to question the purpose behind a sponsorship. For me personally, a sponsor should support and enable what I do. Ideally, it's a win-win-win situation, which always makes me think of that episode from The Office. Uh, it's a win-win-win situation for the viewer, the brand, and myself. My channel has never been and never will be an extension of any brand's marketing department. This is also a new paragraph, and I thought it was important to think of like what is a sponsor? What is a sponsorship? Right? Like, what does that mean? Um, obviously it's not an altruistic thing on a brand's part and it's not supposed to be. The brand is getting something out of it. They're getting advertising, promotion. If you think of sports, you know, uh, an athlete is sponsored by a brand that is because that brand thinks that athlete is a good person to invest in because they're good at what they do. That athlete then gets probably some money. They get gear from whatever that company is. They wear that gear, it has the logos and stuff all over it. People see the logos like, you know, that, that's that's sort of like a mutually beneficial sponsorship, I guess. If you think of like old broadcasting, well, even current broadcasting, commercial breaks, it's the whole point, right? Like the point of a TV show is not the show, it's the commercials for the most part, because that's what's selling the ad space on the channel. But if you think of like, I'm thinking of the old, old, old like tonight shows where it's like you have one sponsor, it's like some old cigarette company or something, and you say, okay, you know, the sponsor of this is whatever, Good Time Cigarettes. You can, I don't know. I don't know about cigarettes, but there you go. And then they just talk about cigarettes for a while, like the Flintstones talk about smoking, and then it just goes back to <laughs> the Flintstones or the Tonight Show or whatever. That is kind of almost like how YouTube sponsorships work. But there is also the other side where, especially in the world of like modern digital online creation sponsorships can almost work like patrons not not Patreon but the idea behind Patreon where it came from back in the day you would have you know like an artist who's making something and they would have a patron that supported what they do to make stuff it's almost like that can also be a role of sponsorships and i think some of the most savvy brands know that where instead of trying to make something super official they just support creators that they want to be associated with and they kind of know that just over time they're playing the long game that it's going to be beneficial for them because they're going to become a part of that creator's universe which just by osmosis other people will catch up on and pick up on and and then be able to you know to recommend that kind of thing so for me sponsored content that's kind of where i lean it's like is there something i would be talking about or sharing anyway okay, that maybe is something that could potentially be sponsored. And every company I've worked with, every sponsor thing I've done has always been after establishing a pretty long relationship with a couple, at least one person, if not a couple in that company. So it's not just like they approach me out of the blue. Yeah, we'll do this thing. But it's like we get to know each other. We talk for a while. And then, you know, later on, months later, they're like, hey, we have this idea for a thing. That's usually where it's all kind of come from. For me personally, so, um, but I prefer not to do sponsored work because it's, I, I guess here's why this isn't in the ethics statement, but this is why like, I don't want any more podcast sponsors or anything. There's a financial need, right? Like YouTube ad revenue is all over the place. You know, you can do stuff like create courses and offer freelance work, whatever. You can do all these things to to drive revenue but a sponsorship is a pretty solid thing, you know, you do this, you get this amount of money. That's pretty much how it works. And even there there's a, there's a couple of things. So one thing that I've done several times which has confused companies is they will say they will say like, "Hey, we want to do this thing. It's it's sponsored. Are you interested?" And it might be a company I'm interested in working with, like for example, I'm trying to think of the one that I did recently i think it was oh it was motion vfx who i love they're great um i've not done a sponsored thing with motion vfx but they've offered several times and they they basically like pitched a rate that was way below my rate it was like less than half of what i proposed and so i said no no that's okay which is not like a hard you know it's not no hard feelings like yeah, this is my price. You don't meet that price. Okay, fine. That's completely okay. Um, And then it was funny because I have a relationship with the person. I was telling them like, um, it was afterwards they were asking something. They were like, oh, did you see we released something? And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm really excited to use it. Um, I'm working on a video all about like motion tracking. And they were like, that was the video. You didn't want that to be a sponsored video. Like that was the sponsored video. And I was like, no, but you guys didn't, didn't want to do my rate. So I didn't want to do it. And they were so confused about like, okay, you gave us a rate. We gave you a lower rate. You said no to that, but then you made the video anyway for $0. How does that make sense? And to me, that makes perfect sense because anytime you do something sponsored, you're almost putting yourself at risk a little bit. It's different in different niches, different genres and stuff. But in my niche, like the camera, photo, audio, video world, there, I feel like it is potentially hurting your reputation or integrity to do too many sponsorships. For, not that you're doing anything wrong, but the perception of the audience when everything becomes sponsored and too many things become sponsored. And so what that means is, you know, for me at least what that means is I will charge a higher rate than maybe like a another channel of my size would cha- charge. But that's also because I know that I'm potentially running a risk of alienating the audience. And the way to avoid that is to avoid doing too many sponsored things. So if somebody does something sponsored, that means I know I'm not going to do another one for another at least like two months. So it's not that they're just paying for this one sponsorship. They're paying for like that, It's that opportunity cost of not doing something else for a while because I don't want to oversaturate things with sponsored content, and I'm building that into the rate price, basically. But on the on the on their end, what they're getting is a really good video. It's going to be up forever. It's not just you know we're sponsoring this video that's coming out this week. Cool, awesome. You'll probably see the biggest bump, um, you know, soon. But that video is going to be there forever. It's going to be in the catalog forever, and you never know in a year or two for some reason the algorithm decides to to take that video off that sponsored segment is baked right into it for years anytime someone finds that video that sponsor segment is baked right into it so for me if it, that's why i charge what i charge and if a brand doesn't want to pay that i'm happy to just if especially if it's something i'm going to talk about anyway i'll just make the video anyway and the reason i don't take any money from them is because then i don't have anybody else's hand in the pot, you know, like nobody else's, whatever, like hand in the cookie jar. It's just all my cookies. And yes, I could make an extra little bit of money, but then I have to deal with a contract. I have to deal with some kind of expectations. I have to deal with, you know, lines of communication and like all of this stuff that is a pain and that I don't want to deal with. Whereas if I'm happy to not take that money and never have to think about those things to just do whatever I want, make whatever I want, say whatever I want, You know, God forbid I'm using another branded thing. And like, it's fine. It's all fine. And that's, that's why, that's kind of why I don't, I don't like sponsored content. It's not, it's not enjoyable for me to feel stressed out like that about making something. And sometimes, and the reason I think that a lot of creators get burnt out is because they do so much sponsored work that it's almost like they will not make a video unless it's sponsored. And I get it, you got to pay bills and you want to make a savings and how long will this YouTube thing last? You know, put a a little nest egg to, you know, why you can kind of situation. Like I get that. And financially, it's probably a smart thing to do, but creatively and and to make it something that you want to keep doing for a long time, I think that leads to burnout because you're just doing client work at that point. Your channel has just become an outlet for client and for marketing. And that's why I said right here in this part of the ethics statement, My channel has never been and never will be an extension of any brand's marketing department. I know that sponsored content is marketing for the brand, but that's why I want it to be on my terms. I don't want it to be like part of a launch strategy. I don't want it to be, um, you know, like, oh, we need you, Tom, on your channel to make this video so you do this many conversions of customers. No, no. No. Like just gag me with a spork. Like I have no interest in doing that at all. If it's mute, if it's all beneficial, hey, here's something I think is awesome. I want to share with my audience. They think it's awesome. And then it benefits the company that made the awesome thing. That's cool. Like that is a type of marketing. It's very hard to do that inorganically. But it works really well. And it, you just can't really do that that often because it, it's real specific. Like working with Artlist, one thing that I've included every time I've done an Artlist sponsored segment is I've mentioned that it was the very first money I invested in my YouTube channel was in an Artlist account for royalty free music as soon as I created my channel before it even made videos. I think that's a good selling point for Artlist. But on my end, I can't make that claim with it. You know, like there's only one company I can make that claim for, and that's them. I can't have that same thing now. If Epidemic wants to sponsor something or like Premium Beat or whatever, no. There's only one company that I can do that with, and that's you know that's what makes it genuine, but it also makes it a little bit more rare. And a thing that happened, a thing that was really illuminating. Sometimes it really is the like the struggles that help the most. Was uh, late last year, I made a sponsored video. You know, because these freaking flying lessons, it's really expensive. <laughs> there have been a couple of times where I'm like, "Well, maybe I could do a sponsored video, and that will uh, that will really pay for some lessons." There, that's the that kind of a, that kind of a thing. Um, and so, I made a video. I was really proud of it. I thought it was a great video, and it would just be a natural fit for a sponsored segment. And so, I pitched one. They said yes, and I was like, "Great!" So, I literally after the video was made. I filmed a a new section for it and put it in that was sponsored. So the video was done before it was sponsored, which means there literally is no change in the video because it's sponsored. I just added a segment, which I thought was a really cool sponsored segment because I was able to like weave it in in a cool way with the video. And I had so much fun with the video. Um, It was like, I was really proud of the video. I had a ton of fun with it. And it was my worst performing video of 2022. I don't, I don't know. Uh, a, a month before I'd done a video on a similar topic that was one of my best performing of the year. So I don't know how these things work. And sometimes a brand will ask you that. They'll be like, we really love to create a, a viral marketing campaign. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. If I knew how to make a video go viral, wouldn't I just do that like every week? Like, why am I not doing that? I don't know. I don't know how to do these things. I just make what I make and then hope for the best is <laughs> kind of the strategy um this video i was really proud of it i had a lot of fun with it it didn't do that well it was one of those ones where when it came out it you know it was 10 out of 10 bottom of the barrel on youtube not doing well youtube's giving you the messages of like your audience hates you and this video just give up but the the comments on the video were really positive so sometimes that happens where it's like, okay, this video is not performing well, but the people, the very few people who are watching it are really liking it and they're really getting something out of it. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes, you know, what more do you need? And so I was happy with that, except that it was a sponsored video and I felt terrible because, you know, they didn't approach me and I was like, fine, you want sponsored to getting put in here? I approached them and said, hey, do you want to sponsor this thing? They said yes. And then the video performed terribly so badly that I I never we'll talk about this in a second but I never guarantee any level of performance on a video but even still it performs so bad I had to reach out to them and go okay it's been several days now I know that you're not going to get any return on this investment if you want to not pay me I can just cut out the sponsored segment and we can forget about the whole thing which they said no it's fine we don't want to do that um but uh, they've also like never asked to do anything since then, so which is fine um the problem with that was I felt so I felt the same way as if like I had been evaluated by a supervisor and gotten a bad evaluation, like I had done something wrong, I'd gotten trouble i'd i you know let people down, I had disappointed someone, I had failed people, I had wasted other people's money, uh and then I started to dislike the video that I made, and this was really frustrating but it was a really eye-opening experience because i had to go back a while later and rewatch that video and go this video is great i mean like i don't you know it clearly youtube hates it maybe other people hate it but i really liked it and i had so much fun making it and i was so excited about it that by all of those measures it's a very successful video it was just because I felt this outside pressure because even though there is no guarantee of views or performance or anything, you know, you you want to not disappoint people. You don't want to let anyone down. And I felt like my video had disappointed a client basically. And it was like, wait, 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 this is my channel, my video, my thing here. Essentially, it came down to I never want to feel that way again. And... Then with Riverside and the podcast, Riverside's great. They were super great to work with. They were ultra kind and ultra supportive. And it was really fun to have a sponsor for every episode. Uh, And that was, that's literally it. Like, there's no more to the story. But on my end, making episodes, like there was even an episode where Bailey submitted a question. He was like, oh, uh, I don't know if we can talk about Ecamm, but do you do this thing with Ecamm or not? And I was like, Yeah it does feel weird to like question, wait, should I be talking about Ecamm if a different company, not that they're direct competitors, but they kind of overlap a little bit. Should I be talking about that? There, you know, there were even times and topics where I was sort of thinking like, oh, maybe I, you know, it was just in the back of my mind, not that it actually changed anything about the season, but it it was oftentimes in the back of my mind, like, oh, I would hate for them to um, not, uh, to, to, get mad about something that I said. And I was like, no, no, no. That is the last thing in the world. Even if that's just in my own mind, walking into my studio and recording something with that in my mind sucks. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. And that is why I don't want there to be any any more sponsor. I want the beauty of being able to just make the thing I want to make, how I want to make it, for the people I want to make it. And it's just like pure... And if it's good, that's great. If it's bad, that's fine. But it's it's pure and it's not because of anything else. So that was those two things together, um, along with just how I've always had a conflicted relationship with sponsored stuff, led me to like, okay, no more podcast sponsorships because the podcast is really something special. And even though fortunately, um, the sponsorship I had didn't interfere with anything I wanted to do on the podcast, I never want to be in a situation where it could potentially do that. And then other sponsored stuff, like I did a video with Sennheiser last month, who are just some of the nicest, most amazing, and super talented people around. And they were awesome because they were pitching a sponsorship thing for their profile microphone, which I used last season. Um, And we talked about this a little bit, so I don't need to dive too much into detail. But I didn't really want to do the sponsored thing. And as soon as they said, well, do you have ideas for something? And I was like, okay, what if it's a sponsored video. Fine. But what if then we give microphones away and we like make all these big donations of microphones and audio gear to schools and educational programs and individuals and Sennheiser was 100% on board with that. And so when I made that video, I didn't have any of the icky sponsored feeling. Um, We were all on the same page about we have no idea how this is going to perform. (laughs) So that's fine. But because there was such a, a a kind of a neat purpose for it. Like the sponsorship wasn't just, you know, paying my bills or flight lessons or something, but it was actually like benefiting other people. It was it was a really exciting and fun thing to say, like this video is sponsored and check this out. This is what that means. So that was a really cool thing, but not every company is going to be willing to do something like that. So I don't want to say that I don't want to do any sponsored stuff on the YouTube channel because um, you never know. It's It's too... Unpredictable and things are opportunities are too just varied to make that kind of a blanket statement. But it does mean I want to be super super limited with any kind of sponsorships. That was a huge tangent in the middle here, but I think it's important context there. So the next part of this little paragraph says uh, it talks less about sponsorships and more about um, when something isn't sponsored but it's sent to me. So the ethics statement says most of the equipment and products I use and review are purchased by me but sometimes I will rent or borrow equipment. Occasionally companies will send a product to me free of charge and I will always clearly state in the video and description that it was provided to me at no cost. That's something you should just do as a creator. Usually the reason I accept these offers is simply due to practicality. Oh, that's a typo. (laughs) I should fix that. The typos just prove that it's authentic, right? It's not chat GPT or whatever. I don't have an unlimited budget and sometimes there are things that I'm curious about or that I've been asked for my opinion on and I would go broke pretty quickly. Otherwise, these products are then either used regularly by me, returned or donated after the video. So that is, if a company sends something free, usually I just say no. I don't want the free thing. It's it's too much, it's worth it's not worth it usually. But if they want to send something, which I mean, you can tell, like the company is a worker. If Rode has sent free things, GoPro has sent free things, um, Sennheiser has sent free things, you know, like it happens, Yolo box. Like it happens from time to time. That always happens after a discussion, and there are no expectations on my part to do anything with that free stuff. Um, but the reason I've I've had the thought of like I'm not going to accept accept anything free, and that way it's never an issue because everything I talk about it's just a thing that I bought. Um, and I could kind of make that work because that's how the channel started the thing that got weird, which maybe you would, you know, this, if you create something is when you get an audience, it's weird. Like people actually appreciate what you do. What? And the thing that I've learned is sometimes something will come out and people will say, you know, are you going to make a video on that thing? And I'm like, no, I don't need, you know, I don't need that microphone. I don't need that thing. But it's not so much that I need it or don't need it. It's people get to a point where for some reason they want your opinion about that thing. They want your point of view on it. And I get that because there are definitely, you know, there are definitely creators where if I want to know more about something and I search it up and I see a handful of people I recognize, they're the ones that I lean towards first because I want their perspective on it, even though everybody's talking about the exact same thing. And it's weird when you find yourself becoming that, that position. And so then it's like, okay, well, the, getting access to this stuff will help me answer those questions in ways that's not going to financially destroy me. And then I just try to make sure that equipment doesn't go to waste. So um, hopefully it's something that I can actually use. And if not, then um, it's something that either just gets returned to the company like, hey, we did it. Thanks. Let me try it out. You know, the B&H loaner program has been amazing for that, where I can just borrow something for a month and then send it back. And there's zero pressure at all. Um, or I'll Give something away or donate it to somebody, you know, who will use it. Whatever it is, the thing the thing gets used. It's not just sitting around never being used. That's kind of the goal there. Um, the last part of this intro paragraph says, offering free products never guarantees a positive review or even a review or video at all. Just like with sponsorships, I'm extremely selective about accepting anything for free and will only do so after discussing this ethics statement with the brand. So... That is, you know, the preamble to the ethics statement, which then continues on down below in bullet points. So let's just move right into that. So this section is probably like the the meat and potatoes of the ethics statement. It starts off by saying, all that being said, everything we just went over, there are a few additional non-negotiable points I'd like to share for the sake of clarity. I've made all this info publicly available to viewers and brands alike so that we're all on the same page. Some of these you might be familiar with, but I have changed and modified some of them. The first one, I kind of did do them in order of like, it's almost like FAQs, the most frequently <laughs> frequently asked points at first. So the first one says, my content, I hate that word, but I use it in the ethics statement a few times because um, especially brands, like that's the word they understand. So I hate that word, but there we go. My content is my own. I create and produce each video based on what I'm excited about and what I think will be relevant or helpful to my audience at that time. So that means I'm in charge of what goes on the channel. It's not based on a, a product release schedule or something. Sometimes those align up and sometimes they don't. And I don't care. Like it, it's not, it's not something I'm interested in. Second point, my content is my own. I create and produce each video based on what, oh wait, that is the first point. <laughs> Second point, my reviews are always as objective as possible and my opinions are always my own. Yeah. So that, you know, that's pretty standard. Uh, I do not submit previews of videos to anyone for approval or revisions. No exceptions. Lots of times brands will ask for this. It's not an unreasonable unreasonable thing on a brand's part, but if you if you have an established relationship with them, you know, and at this point I can point to a YouTube channel that has hundreds of videos on it and be like, see how none of these videos have like, you know, crazy profanity or violence or anything wildly offensive in them other than terrible jokes you probably, I'm not gonna make that leap with this video, you know? And so um, so that kind of works. There have been times though where I have chosen to submit something I have chosen um, mainly because I wanna make sure things are uh, accurate and correct. Especially if, it, if it's something that's a little more technical and I say like, oh, this compared to this does that. It's kind of nice to have the people who made the thing just take a pass at it to confirm yep or no or whatever. So um, sometimes I will ask for feedback just almost for like, it's almost like a second set of eyes to proofread something. Um, but I don't submit stuff to companies. If you do, because it is, is not an unreasonable thing to ask, but I don't like doing it. Um, I would say just be careful that you don't get stuck in the revision loop, you know, like, You send something to them, they say, okay, cool, but change this part. So you change that part and they send it back for approval. Oh, now this part, you just go back and forth because then you're just working with a client and that's not fun. That's not, at least in this context, what I'm doing here. So um, that goes on to the next point that says, I have full control over my content calendar. While I'm happy to work collaboratively when possible for scheduling, no outside party can pay or otherwise influence me in return for scheduling priority. Yeah, that just means, you know, like I don't want to do the Oh, we're releasing on this date. Cool. Congrats on the product launch. My video'll be out when when it's out, you know? Um that's that's basically what that means. Recently, I did a video with Nanlight, which was great. They were also This was a sponsored video that we agreed on back in like September, but then things got pushed back, so the the lights didn't come out. I didn't make the video till January cuz their schedule just got pushed back. So it was interesting because I ended up making the sponsored video after I had already hit the point where I kind of didn't want to do sponsored stuff, but Nanlite is great. They're like the coolest, nicest. They genuinely trust, at least my experience was they genuinely trusted me as a creator. Just were excited to to talk about the lights I told them I didn't want to do like a product showcase, there'd be a sponsored segment where I could say like, Hey, there's these new lights, they have these features, but the video itself is going to be a tutorial where I'm just, I happen to be using these lights in the tutorial, but the concepts apply to everything. They were totally on board with that. So it was very, very easy to work with. Um, And I I really, really like that. But the lights, the product release was on a Tuesday. My upload date is a Thursday. And so um, before the release, I started getting some messages that were like, Hey, you know, Let us know if you need anything before the launch on Tuesday. And I was like, just a reminder, my upload date is Thursday. So the video will be coming out on Thursday. It happened to be a good fit for that Thursday, but I wouldn't have hesitated if there was something that made more sense that week to then push the sponsored video to the next week. So I'm just pretty straightforward with that. And it is what it is. You know, I have control over my calendar. I think you should too. Next point, just because a product is provided to me at no cost does not mean I will review it or feature it in a video. And then this is underlined. I do not make videos in exchange for free products or services. That's pretty clear. But the thing I really want to avoid is just in case somehow I end up saying yes to somebody sending something, they send it, don't make a video about it. I don't want the pestering like, we'd love to see that video. When's that video coming out? Like, luckily i haven't had that problem because of this statement right here but i know so many people who have those stories and it, it gets really aggressive where there are brands who have even reached out to like people's spouses and their friends like on social media can you talk to them and make sure they you know it's it's some 40 dollar piece of junk that like no one even wants and they're harassing this person nonstop to make a video about so um speaking of cheap junk, the next point says I never work with Amazon resellers only directly with reputable brands. I have no problem that things are sold by Amazon. But what that means is like, I don't want to, to work with, you know, like, like there are certain products where you can buy that exact same thing, literally the exact same thing, but just with different logos stamped on it. And, you know, just being resold on Amazon. I never work with those sellers only with actual companies. So I'll work with Sennheiser on something. Cool. You could go on Amazon and buy a Sennheiser thing, but they're not an Amazon reseller, you know, that kind of thing. And that's just to make sure that the stuff that the brands that I'm working with are real brands, basically. Uh, next point. I typically avoid pre-production versions of products and software and prefer to use what will actually be delivered to other customers. This one could be very limiting for you if if you include it, because a lot of times if you're working on a product before a product launch, the hardware might not be finalized, a software or firmware or whatever might not be finalized. And that's why you see a lot of reviews and things that are like, oh, I'm using pre-production firmware or pre-production version of this. Um, I had to do that a little bit when the Rodecaster came out, but that was a such a weird situation. Um, and I tried to make it super clear in every video, even to the live where There was like a banner scrolling across the top that was like, I am using beta firmware. And then Rode was awesome because they just made the beta firmware available to everybody. So it's like, I need to let people know I'm using beta firmware because stuff changes, but at least it's a version of what anybody could get on their Rodecaster. Um, But the reason for that is because it makes the videos out of date really fast because as soon as the thing actually comes out, stuff has already changed and now your video doesn't make sense. But also, I don't necessarily think that's super helpful. You're reviewing something that... People aren't actually going to be using, like, they're they might not get the same thing that you have, they might not have the same experience or get the same results because it's not going to be the same as what you're using. But if you say no to that, because that's the only way a lot of brands can get pre production things out to people, that means you'll likely be excluded from any of those pre production releases. So that's fine with me, I have no problem being excluded from those, but it might be something that you want to be a part of. You know, that's why I said go if you were to borrow this, go through and make sure every point aligns with what you actually want to do and actually care about. You might not care about some of this stuff, so cut it out, you know, (laughs) like take it out of the ethics statement. Next point, I appreciate when companies offer information about their products and services, but I will only include what I think is relevant and necessary in any videos I create. So if you work with a company or do a sponsored thing, they might send you something that's like a whole fact sheet or a slide deck of product information, which can be very helpful in just making sure you don't give out incorrect information, But at the same time, you probably don't need to include like everybody, you know, when a company releases a product, they want you to know that like the fact it's affected by gravity is an amazing new feature. Like, okay, it exists in the physical universe. Put that in there. Maybe you don't need to include everything. And maybe you know what you're interested in, what your audience is interested in, and that's the stuff that you can focus on including. And you can gloss over the stuff that nobody else in your audience cares about somebody else, it might be more relevant for. Uh, to build on that, the next point says, uh, I will work to seek answers for anything about a product or service that I don't fully understand to make my videos as accurate and helpful as possible. That is a message to, you know, prospective brands and stuff where it's like, I know I'm making all these demands, but I also want to let you know, I will, if I don't understand something, like I, I don't want you to tell me what I have to say, but if I have a question or I'm unsure about it, I will make sure that I ask the question. Uh, while it usually makes sense to include certain links in video descriptions or social media posts, I retain full control over what is shared on my accounts across all platforms. My social media, kind of as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, is a mess, so I don't know why a brand would want to advertise on that anyway. But sometimes when you do sponsorships, they'll say, we'll pay you for this YouTube video, and then we also want two Instagram posts and four stories or something like that. Um, I don't do any of that, and I don't want a brand to control where a link has to go or what, like... I'll put what I think is relevant where I'll where I think it's relevant is basically and and a lot of brands hate that (laughs) to be honest um I never include additional social media promotion the next point yeah this is something I added recently I never include additional social media promotion and sponsorship agreements Instagram Twitter MySpace etc I wish I could promote stuff on MySpace uh, next point, YouTube's includes paid promotion option will be checked anytime a video features a product or service that was provided at no cost, even if it's not an official sponsorship. This is something that according to YouTube, you should do. If something's not sponsored, but you were given it for free to make that video, technically you should be clicking that paid button. I kind of hate that rule because there's so much gray area and it it misconstrues things because it it literally puts up a logo of a hand taking money at the start of your video, and it's like includes paid content. It's like whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, it includes the thing that was sent for free, but I'm I'm the amount of time and effort put in this video negates any kind of benefit for getting like the free widget. Um, I wish there were some more clarity or some you know, I I, w- I don't necessarily like that rule, but I like being upfront about when something was provided for free. Technically, you should click that box at least according to the way YouTube is set up now. So that's what I do. Uh, Next point, I'm more than happy to let others share my videos as long as the video post links directly to the original video uploaded to my YouTube channel. Videos may not be re-uploaded elsewhere. Sometimes a a company might want to take uh, the video file that you have and put it on their own channel or share it somewhere else. If that's what you're making the video for, if it's a sponsored thing for somebody else's channel, that's fine, but if you're making a thing for your channel, at least if I'm making a thing for my channel, I don't want it to go on anybody else's channel. It needs to stay on mine. I will definitely copyright strike them or claim them or whatever if it if they do that. Uh, I'm more than happy to let, oh, that's the same point. Wow. All right, last three points. If I find myself considering a sponsored campaign that includes other creators, I will work to confirm that there is a representative mix of genders, ethnicities, orientations. Yes, that is because I'm a woke leftist, um, whatever it is. I just don't want to be in the thing where it's like, here's the thing that came out and it's, it's 15 dudes that all look the same, and have the same perspective. Um, I'd rather make sure that like, hey, is there going to be a, a diverse mix of people in this campaign? Companies usually won't tell you, you know, like, you, you can probably get an idea based on what a product is, who else might have it but they don't tell you like, oh, we're sending one to you and we're sending it to these other eight people over here. So you don't really know. Um, so the best you can do sometimes is just go like, Hey, I know other people have this. I would like to know, like, you know, is it a diverse mix? Is it that kind of thing? And depending on the company, they may be more upfront about it or not. But if you're also evaluating the companies, you know, holistically, you might also know, um, how they, not even just representation wise, but just in general, how the company operates, you would know if they're in line with what you are in line with or not. And you you probably have an idea, like, you know, if, if they've done marketing campaigns that are diverse every point up until now, there's a good chance this one will be too. So even if they can't tell you exactly who's there, you might make some assumptions, but it's usually a thing that's worth asking. Sometimes the thing that, The person you're talking to might not have ever even considered before. Um, So it's, if nothing else, it just reminds them that you as a creator are thinking about that. And it's important, whatever it might be. For me, it's, you know, representations and thing. But for you, it might be something else. Next point, I do not guarantee any number of views. This is actually like, like kind of the last point, I do not guarantee any number of views or any amount of audience engagement on my videos or content. As much as I want everything I create to perform well, there are too many variables beyond my control for me to make any claims regarding potential viewership. And then I added this part. But I do watch all of my videos before publishing, so I guess I can guarantee at least one view. And that's true. I can guarantee one view because I'll watch it to make sure that it uploaded correctly. And then, oh, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, I forgot I added this recently. The last point just says, side note, I do find it funny when brands ask for a video to go viral. If I knew how to do that, why wouldn't I make every video a viral sensation? (laughs) That's just like, again, thinking that somebody is going to go through this, read it, and then want to work with... I just want us to be on the same page. I have a link to this ethics statement on my contact page on my website, and I love it. Even if we never end up working together... It's really nice when someone will reach out from a brand and say, hey, Tom, I love your channel, not just the generic copy paste thing that they send to everyone. Um, We're working on this. We'd love to send you one or we'd love to get your feedback on something. I read your ethics statement. I think like they referenced the ethics statement in their initial message to me. Already we're off to a good start. I do have a little closing paragraph under that that just says, thank you for taking the time to read and understand my ethics statement. This probably doesn't cover every scenario under the sun, but it should give you a pretty solid idea of how highly I value the integrity behind what I do and the relationship with anyone who takes the time to check out something I've made. Ultimately, I just want to keep making fun, have having fun making videos and that sustainable fun disappears without these guidelines. If you're a creator yourself, Peel's, please feel free to take this ethics statement and make it your own. And if you have any questions, there's my contact info. So that is the ethics statement. Um, It is one of the best tools in my creator toolkit, and I can't say enough good things about it. And it does evolve and change over time, but I've never evolved it in a way that loosens up, you know, like where it gets less ethical I've changed and evolved parts of it, but it it usually is just to work for me. I've never been like, Oh I'll never never submit a video for revision. nah, sometimes I'll submit a video like i I really stick to these guns and modify them as needed, but not to only for the betterment of the creator side of things if that makes sense, and it is definitely some it is brand unfriendly, <laughs> like it is something if you have this and you refer people to it, you will lose sponsorship opportunities partnerships all that stuff you will but the ones it's an amazing litmus test the ones that go through and still want to work with you after this are you you just will have a better experience i think and you're going to save yourself from a lot of nightmares that a lot of creators have to deal with because they don't think about these things or they just you they see an email from someone that says sponsorship and they get dollar signs in their eyes not even dollar signs for a lot of creators, especially if your channel's smaller, you're just starting to grow that first time you get a offered something sponsored. It's like, it can feel like, oh my God, I did it. Like I I did it. This, this is, I made, this is a sign that I've made it. I have to say yes. And you just want, you know, you're so excited that you just want to agree to a thing because it feels like, yeah, you're finally getting there. And I would encourage you to Keep, keep level-headed about that. And remember that you don't want to work on something for years on end and put so much time into it and then sell that out for a single paycheck. Like you, you want to keep doing this for years on end. Or at least I do. Maybe you don't, but I do. Um, and if you do, if you want to do that, having these measures in place to protect it and to protect yourself and to protect what's special about it is incredibly important. So I'd love to know, any thoughts or anything or if you've used this and it's been beneficial to you so feel free to share those or reach out if you'd like to i we went a little bit long today but that's cool hopefully that's okay with you and that wraps up this first episode of this season so as always you know feel free to reach out send messages i appreciate you listening we'll be back next week we as and i <laughs> will be back next week to share something that is hopefully fun, interesting, has a nice tangible takeaway. And in the meantime, thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week, and I will see you next time.